You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, but basically what we're going to do today once Ben hops on is that Ben has admitted something uh, that I think a lot of people have admitted, which is that this season has kind of felt like a slog, this, you know, given everything that has gone on in the world, given some of the density of games, given the health and safety protocol of all the injuries. So we're just going to try to help Ben rediscover his love for this season right in time for the playoffs to start. We're going to talk about some things that we have really enjoyed and try to share share Ben and sell him on the stuff that we've enjoyed so that he can enjoy that stuff too, help him appreciate some of the finer things because this has been a hard year for everyone. It has been a tricky NBA year in a lot of ways. So I've got a lot of things listed, uh, and Ben will hopefully be here soon, and we can start talking through them. We'll give him a couple minutes if he's running late, we can just get this thing going. Uh, but this is where to go. I know we have a couple people who have sent in stuff on Twitter as well. So it can be a player. It can be really anything connected to the game uh, this year, anything connected to the sport, just anything that's like, you know what? This is a thing that's helped me forget about like some of the other stuff that's happening in the world. Um, so... We're going to talk about that uh, and as a way of talking about some of these other things. Uh, I'm sure there will be a lot of things that people have in common, but, you know, look, help people kind of remind us, like, what's so great about this? Why is this such a joyous thing, a fun thing? Um, anyway, I'm going to give Ben another couple minutes, but I see some people have already listed some things in the comments. Uh, if you hear list a few others. Um, feel, feel free to jump on and talk through it. Um, okay. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. Mike. Yo. Yo, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I don't know why I can't hear you through my headphones. Hold on. <laughs> That's so strange. Uh, da, 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 da. How are you, Ben? I'm good. I'm hanging in there, Mike. I'm... Uh... I'm uh, yeah, fresh off of vacation. I had a couple of days off of work, which was nice. I, I managed to not watch any of the Sixers Bucks uh, weekend. I guess they were some they call them basketball games, and uh, <laughs> probably a smart yeah. decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I timed that. I timed my trip to uh, to Joshua Tree to coincide with uh, with Doc giving the entire Sixers starting lineup a bunch of days off, but while also maintaining the ability to not give any of them actual rest. So it was good. Ah, so this is a uh, this is the bitter state of mind that you're in right now about the NBA. Uh, so yeah, hey, welcome back to everyone to Limited Upside podcast live chat. And as I mentioned earlier, before we went live, this is what we're going to do today. Ben, you seem a little down 
about basketball. Is that safe to say? That's a fair. It's a fair assumption. Yeah. yeah. Why are you down about basketball before we talk about ways to cheer you up? Sure. So a few things, um, and it's not one particular reason. It's it's sort of like the cumulative effects of what feels like one really really long season. Uh, you would call it the 2019 to 2021 season of basketball, uh, which I feel like has taken its effects in a number of ways, both, you know, injuries, quality of play, tanking out of control, um, resting of players, which goes hand in hand with injuries because you can't have both. You either, you know, you're either okay with teams giving, you know, the front end of a back, back to back off to essentially healthy 20 year olds, 21 year olds. And you're also, you know, have to be fully aware of, the rampant amount of, of severe injuries that we've, we've seen this year. Um, so I guess a lot of things have, have kind of gotten into my head as a Sixers fan who also watches an exceptional amount of the rest of the league. You know, you want to tune in to see your top players play. You haven't gotten as much of that in head-to-head star matchups. And then a lot of this comes down to the way that the Sixers have made me feel this season, which is both a lot of uh, positive reinforcement from seeing Joel kind of take another step and, and Ben keep progressing as one of the more dominant defense players in the league with, with his limited um, capabilities in certain parts of the game. But ultimately I think he's, he's been uh, a plus this year, but mixing all this together to say that it feels like the Sixers season hit a wall a couple of weeks ago, where now I have to wait a few months for meaningful basketball. And that's probably the same way that about six or seven teams feel right now. Uh, and then there's the five or six teams that are purposely trying to lose every single game. And then there's the jockeying for position that doesn't really matter anymore because it's not like you have to be the eight seed because now the positional jockeying is for the 10 seed, which gives even more wiggle room for more teams to take games off and to not care. And so what I've gotten to is this kind of malaise of fandom, which I feel like I'm getting from the malaise that the players in the league have kind of fallen into. And that's kind of why I'm down, Mike. Is that, is that fair to assume that I say that I kind of summed up what we talked about pre-pod there? I mean, I think so. Is there anything else that gets you down? That seems like a pretty long <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah. Just, just an airing of grievances here. Um, yeah. I mean, like, look, that's, that's all, that all comes together here, which is to say that I, I think the league has had some really bright spots this year. Like getting Steph Curry back into the mix is undeniably good for the sport and it's fun. It's yes. super fun. Yes, you know, we will we will talk about a thing that that's certainly a thing that a lot of people found joy in this year, and we will talk about that. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I'm, I for one have uh, you know found an incredible amount of joy watching Steph play. It's impossible not to. I feel like there's some players uh, who we've missed. You know, even his counterpart with Clay, we've missed. We've we haven't yet to see, or we've yet to see the the full Nets team really play together, um, which is will be an interesting subplot of the playoffs. Um, okay. You know, I, there's just a lot of things I, I feel for Jamal Murray, but at the same time, like no one went harder in the bubble than Jamal Murray. So is there an expectation that his body would wear down quicker this season? Probably. So some of this stuff feels like avoidable or, uh, or, or, or things that we would consider like, uh, obvious and, and okay. that, that kind of sucks too. So that's so, like, I see. Well, it looks like we've got a uh, special guest joining in who, has made a speaker request. You may have heard of him. Uh, Nate, are you there? Nate, what's up? <laughs> Nate, can you hear me? Unmute him, Mike. Yeah, nah, here we uh, go. Ah, uh, there we go. Fine. You're the one with the mic problems this time. How's that? <laughs> uh, that <laughs> It wouldn't be the first time. 
<laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Nate, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. I was just, uh, I'm trying out the Android app. Uh, just installed it, saw you guys were on. So I, f- I figured I, I would jump in and uh, share in the glow of Washington Wizards optimism that no <laughs> doubt it is permeating this room. Uh, you know, it's Perfect. funny. I listened, I listened about like 20 things that made me happy uh, about this NBA season just now before <laughs> I'm getting ready for the show. And I think at around number 18, I was like, you know, I really should have a Wizards one on here, shouldn't I? I mean, it's been really fun, and then I like couldn't figure out what I wanted to put on. So I think that says more about me than anything else about the confusion of how happy should I feel about this team right now. But, I mean, look, winning is better than losing. I'll give you guys <laughs> that. It's better to win games than lose games. And that game last night with San Antonio, great game. Loved it. Didn't care that they lost. I mean, I cared a little. But that was a great game. <laughs> great game. Uh I don't know. Like, I mean, it's fun, but like, I'm just so tired of hearing about Russell Westbrook and triple doubles. How do you, how do you Thunder fans do this? Have to hear about this all the time. I don't understand. Well, well, but he was, he was good back then though. He's been good for about four weeks. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Four Um, weeks. Yeah. You may have heard he's uh, as one of the best uh, clutch shooting records in the NBA as well. And, I, and that will certainly continue Were you aware forever. Of that? I, I did see that, yes. It, that was true in his MVP season too, right? I mean, that was one of the big cases for him. Yeah, that's why it, Danny and I decided to pick him eventually because, I mean, I think they won probably five or six games more than expected. And he had all these games where it, he would just score their last 14 points in a row and everyone else would just play defense and never touch the ball. The the perfect Russ scenario. Uh, No, in all seriousness, I will say my frustration with him watching with the Wizards was is one part due to the hanging on to past glory that the franchise and the broadcast team and all this just seems to be doing that is kind of annoying. But the other reason is just that like he didn't seem to realize that his game had was different. You know, he didn't seem to realize that there are so many ways that he could affect the game without being 2017 Russell Westbrook. He was trying to recapture that glory. And I think recently uh, he's running a lot less sort of straight pick and roll. He's kind of focusing a lot more on beating his own man and then kicking out. He seems to be trying harder on defense. He seems to understand that when he dives to the rim, people are still scared of him, even when they maybe shouldn't be. And now he's playing well more within himself, and lo and behold, they're playing better. So I have enjoyed that part of the Russell Westbrook experience. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's interesting, that, that observation that he's going by guys one-on-one more because, yeah, when you get him into pick and roll, every team is going to just play a drop coverage on him at this point if they're sane. And yeah. so that now you're just asking for him to take that mid-ranger that for whatever reason – he just the, the last three years has just completely abandoned him. So yeah, blow by your guy, and then you're you're forcing help in a less disciplined way than you would if it's just a a pick and roll, and then he can kick out and, and set guys up a little a little easier. That makes a lot of sense. And it's what Houston did last year too with him when he had a good second half. Once they went to small ball, that was basically the role he played. He didn't run a lot of pick and roll. He was, he almost was, I, I think it's almost best to think of him less as a point guard now and more as just a totally different position. Yeah, no, that's a, a that's exactly what they did in Houston. I mean, he's really, honestly, the two, 
players that I think he's most similar to in the NBA are Zion and Giannis. Other yeah. than, you know, the fact that he's six three, but he kind of is playing similarly to those guys in terms of really what his role should be, like getting to the rim, pushing in transition, shooting fewer jumpers. He's actually over 30% from three, which is higher than he's been recently. I feel like his shot looks a little better too. It looks a little more uh, less choppy. I don't know. I'd have to look at it a little bit closer, but it does seem like he's shooting. His actual shooting form has improved in a way. Um, but Ben, have you enjoyed Russell Westbrook recently, or are you sort of with me? I, I, I always say that Russell Westbrook is more fun when he's not playing for your favorite team because you get to <laughs> enjoy all the highs of Russell Westbrook without all the lows. But it, have you enjoyed Russell Westbrook this year? Yeah, I, I think the analogy I would use is like the less you watch, the more you like, which is probably what you're getting at. But I, I've always been a big Russ fan. You know this, Mike, and from stemming from the days of uh, working with him uh, in 2008 in Los Angeles when he was a young, a young kid, to be honest, um, and seeing him progress. But I will tell you this, um, as a Sixers fan and as someone maybe with a top seed in the East, I don't know if I really want to run into like a buzzsaw type Russ playing at a peak level come playoff time. Because again, so much of this is going to come to how teams are playing who have been striving for a playoff spot for two straight months versus teams who have been essentially non-jockeying for position, uh, which is going to be the East. Are 8-1 matchups you know, generally predictable? Absolutely. But it's a pretty unpredictable season, and Russ seems to have, I don't know if the term is a chip or a mountain on his shoulder, but you could say that uh, he's carrying some post-game uh, press conference uh, fodder every single night now. It feels like every game is a personal attack on his his legacy. Uh, Who's attacking him, though? I don't, other than Stephen thing. A. Smith. Like, uh, me. Okay. <laughs> not, yeah. not, that he gives a, not that he gives a shit about me, but... Uh, He's not yeah, Rick Carlisle he, he, or Anthony Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, just... Uh, the Wizards, it's all love fest watching their broadcasts and watching the, their team. They just it, they couldn't stop praising him. It's like yeah. it's, he's like a Greek god to them. Anyway, yeah, I, I just all, think I mean, these are <laughs> these are things that I should be happy about. Nate, is there well, anything well, else you're happy about? Sorry to cut you. Yes, off. yes. I, I was gonna I was gonna answer the the question of the show here before I had to take off. Uh, I, I mean, this is the, uh, the Derek Year answer, especially living it in the Bay, but. Seeing Steph Curry this year in every game has been much watch, must watch TV for me. And I'm the only thing that it reminds me of is how much Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors kind of robbed us of seeing this for the last five years. And maybe he wouldn't have been able to hold up for this entire time. But instead of getting those two dominant Warriors seasons with KD that frankly weren't that exciting to just have had Steph have to carry that team and see whether they could have come back with the same group uh, to get redemption for 2016 and, and to have Steph just breaking barriers, pushing himself to know that he has to take these crazy shots all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm He's doing this at 33 to imagine what he could have done from, you know, 28 to 32 without KD there. Uh, and even last year too, with the broken hand missing that. Uh, I feel like we missed out, but this is one of the best age 33 seasons anyone has ever had that we're seeing right now. Ben, you're into the stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I, I think Steph is the number one answer for NBA joy, both from neutrals or Bay Area folks, Warriors fans, fans of, you know, again, the sport in general. It's almost impossible not to kind of recognize. I, I know I've found myself 
I guess for the last few weeks specifically when the Warriors had a run of games that were on national TV here. I live in LA and I have uh, enough blackout coverage of, of Los Angeles basketball that I don't have to watch much Clippers uh, or Lakers if I don't feel like it. Uh, and becoming sort of like a, a regional sports fan here where there are plenty of Warriors fans here in Los Angeles. It's been nice. Like I'll, I'll tell you this, the one thing about Steph that is undeniable from a joy perspective is you do not see anyone else do anything that he does. Right. So it's not, like, Oh yeah. You know, that, that specific standout relationship to just shooting a ball better than anyone has ever done that and taking chances on shots that you just can't even fathom. Den, uh, uh, what's his name? Denzel, uh, Valentine. He tried a couple <laughs> nights ago, uh, you know, too much, much chagrin for, uh, for I, 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 I'm going to, I actually have a controversial opinion. I don't think that was a bad shot, honestly. Ooh, like down, he he was open. He just hit three in a row. They're down five with fifty seconds left. You need to get a two for one. Like you, you want to shoot quickly. The other team, like you have to get a three there, down five with basically two possessions left. I mean, I know it was really ugly because he missed it incredibly badly, and you know he's it doesn't exactly. That's not his real place on the team. He's like their 12th man, 11th man. But like, that's actually, I mean, maybe not him taking that shot, but that's like a shot that I think was when you're already in a desperate situation like that, if you're open for three, even if it's a couple feet further than you might like, uh, obviously yeah. when you airball it like that, you're going to look like an idiot. But I, I, I don't, I don't think the process behind that was like so terrible. It'd be nice if he hit the rim though. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, no, that, that is actually, you know, all things being considered, you're right. It probably wasn't the worst situational <laughs> situational shot, but in terms so, of so, outcome and result. Sorry, I got I got to cut you off because of Matt's comment. Unfortunately, Denzel Valentine is closer to the Bulls' eighth man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess with their current injury concerns, that's that's yeah. Uh, yeah. So real quick before before we move on to other stuff, and Nate's awesome to hear from you. Uh, what is, you know? What's funny? I think this year has helped me understand and fully appreciate again that Steph Curry is one of a kind because I think mm. it is very easy to lose sight of describing him flatly as just like this guy that's like this incredible shooter and. He's so much more than that. And it's been interesting, like, kind of, I think, was it one of you two was saying that this is like a show that is different than anyone else in the league. And, like, for a while, I was kind of wondering if, like, more people were becoming like Steph. And now it's like there's so much more to what he does that is different and is in its own experience. Like, there's something about the way that, he can do what he does from any spot on the floor in any situation with any movement pattern that is unique. That is just kind of, you never really know exactly what to expect, even though you expect him to make a lot of threes. Yeah. I, I, mean, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. So, go ahead, Nate. Go, that, go for that, it. That's the, the crazy part is like, you know, he still finds way to get ways to get these shots off, even though everyone has seen him hit these ridiculous shots before. Like they still just, it still breaks defenders basketball brains when he right. takes some of these uh, it, that they just, they relax a little bit. And even when they're hyper vigilant, you just can't, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things about stuff. I think that people don't appreciate is he's absolutely relentless, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. really think about that kind of a word with him, but he's always running. He's always moving. He's in better shape 
than his opponents. I mean, he's running around. They got four different guys guarding him throughout the course of the game, and he's still outrunning these guys. And you just you can't stay that vigilant. There are very few guys who can stay that vigilant, and at, at, as a, at a team level in particular, staying that vigilant over the course of an entire game. Like the Kings, I thought they did a great job on him in the first half on Sunday, and he still had 23 points. In the first half, he's five of six from three. And, you know, I would say on 90% of the possessions, they were doing an awesome job. They were topsided and they're denying him coming off the screens. And you just have lapses on 10% of your possessions. And the guy's got 23 points at halftime. It's it is. It's crazy. Um, yeah. And I think that this year has kind of reminded us about stuff like you were saying. And I mean, clearly, I, I think there's no argument whatsoever about him being one of the top three players the last 10 years. And maybe, you know, between him and KD, I think that there's a, a, a very legitimate argument. They both kind of missed time. KD was maybe a little bit better in those years in the finals, but Steph was probably better in the other playoffs. Not um, LeBron. When they were together. Well, well, LeBron is number one, obviously. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're sure. saying. Okay. Yeah. So I'm saying between Steph and KD for number two oh, okay. over the, over the last like 10 years or so. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys get back to your, show here but just wanted to drop hey. in and take say hi thanks for having me hey Appreciate thanks it, for thanks for coming on bud um all right uh we have another speaker request ian ian what's up how's it going how's it going what's hey. up um so i had a just a general question about um players that are players that we give up on too early and usually like older players so i mean rondo for example Dwayne Dedman, Trevor Ariza. These are just a couple examples that are coming to my mind. Um, I know Rondo just they lost to the uh, to Wenyan Gabriel and the uh, Pelicans <laughs> yesterday. But um, <laughs> aside from that, like he's had a phenomenal impact on the Clippers, and um, I feel like it just speaks to this point that like players, older players, if they're in like the wrong setting, can just get miscast as being washed. I don't know if that's just like a very meta point, but I don't know if you've th- thought of that, like specifically this year with, with those types of players. Ben, what do you think? Do you yeah, enjoy so, watching? Yeah. yeah. I think it's easier for older players to turn off a team when they see that the recipe isn't there for success and that they might be wasting what is a much smaller window of opportunity for what they have left physically and mentally. You know, you watch players check out, uh, in specific situations where then they look much better after a buyout or, you know, after a trade where they are, you know, a more pivotal part in a smaller, uh, in smaller amounts, but are more potent for what they can provide to, to a team. And I I think Rondo is obviously a great example of that with the last two seasons of essentially becoming a, a star playoff contributor for the Lakers and then leading to, you know, whatever, six, seven straight wins, whatever it was for the Clippers. Uh, and being, you know, an integral part, but what, you know, what can Rondo really do with even the Hawks who aren't a bad team at all, but when he has multiple other young guards, at least one, and then Goodwin's obviously going to try to get some minutes in there. It makes sense that he would kind of see himself in a more minimal role, but you know, it's weird. I think it's funny to think of guys who have had long careers as kind of being shortchanged for the last part of their career in terms of being able to have their value maximized. But I do think there's something to be said for that kind of veteran contract that ends up paying, you know, far over the dividends of 
of what you've put in financially and what you get out from a player standpoint. Uh, Rondo being, again, a great example, I think Dwight Howard's been a great one, you know, single year or single season contract player now for a couple of years, both with the Lakers and Sixers. Um, and there are plenty of other examples, but it's so much of it comes from the star, even Carmelo Anthony right now, uh, to a degree, like realizing or star or older player realizing what they can do best for a team. And most guys don't do that. You know, th- there's a reason why players like Allen Iverson, who could have been a bench scorer in a Lou Williams sense for 10 years, retired at a much younger age. Um, and I think there's just something to be said for the mentality of taking a step back, realizing what type of teammate you can be, what type of contributor you can be and where you can have the most profound effect on winning uh, ultimately being that, you know, the success point, not necessarily statistically, but what you can do for the team's wins and losses. Um, and Rondo's always been that incredible cerebral player. He was a, a role player when he was 22 years old, even though he was an extremely valuable part of the Celtics uh, you know, championship team. He kind of came into the league built to be the supporting guy uh, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I think of guys like Tayshawn Prince, um, you know, as another kind of character in that mold, uh, Shane Battier, who had that kind of, again, became as he got older he wasn't the same athletic you know defender but he was an even better team defender um so i don't know Prada, where where is your head at with this you know it's funny that the guy i think about is blake griffin actually mm. when you think about like sort of like kind of a revival star. of a veteran former star um i just think it's it was really sad and depressing watching him in detroit and now it's actually been quite fun watching him with the nets i think it's a really good fit with his switchability he seems to have much more in the tank athletically uh and he gives him a slightly different dimension i mean they don't he's the closest thing they have to someone who can play out of the post uh really and so it's been fun to watch his revival to the original the original question was essentially like do we short was essentially what like do we shortchange like these guys' ability to change? Uh, it's yeah, it's more just like are there as guys get older? Yeah, I'm talking like kind of like 33 and up. Do they just get less of a chance to prove themselves? I'm thinking specifically Dwayne Dedman, who I know is like coming back here and there, but like I remember when he signed with Sacramento and it just didn't work out that well. Like he was gone within like that season i think if i'm remembering correctly i feel like that happens you know here and there where we just a guy doesn't play super well for a short period of time and then it's kind of like oh we're talking about them not being in the league yeah it's interesting you say that because i think this is one of these cases where i think if you you really like went through and like kind of looked at the actual data i think it's probably accurate to say that old guys tend to get more of a chance um Mm -hmm. in these situations and maybe less so this year because of the g league uh bubble has allowed teams to kind of call up players from that spot uh but I think you're talking maybe more like kind of reputationally, this sort of feeling that a guy is just washed at a certain point. And to that, I just wonder like how much is our own like sort of hanging on to past glory at knowing Rajon Rondo's name, knowing Blake Griffin's name, maybe causing us to be a little bit sensitive to like sort of whether the degree to which someone is being declared as a, as being washed, like the mellow discussion from years ago, it just always bugged me because it was like, I felt like people were arguing against an enemy that wasn't there, like in a lot of cases and still are. Um, I mean, the general last thing, Mike, real quick, a lot of coaches are also 
uh, culpable here. Like a good example is I hate to keep using the Sixers as a reference point here, but like Mike Scott's played more minutes this year than anybody should ever play with the ability level that he brings to the table. He's legitimately bad at pretty much everything that you'd want from a basketball player, but doc will play him because of his seniority and because he can trust that. I guess he can trust that he knows what he's getting from him, but the Sixers right. have younger players who could contribute more that aren't going to get that opportunity. And that's where I think coaches specifically coaches are just set in their ways with how they view, you know, anyone in their first through third years in the league. Um, and that contributes significantly too. I mean, look, coaches are risk averse. <laughs> most people, frankly, most people are risk averse. If we're being completely honest, like yeah. psychologically, but coaches especially. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm glad you uh, you enjoyed Rajon Rondo. I, I definitely think there are some cases of guys who are written off too soon. I, I think Blake Griffin is the guy that comes to mind for me. So, thank you so much. Um, Appreciate it. Appreciate coming it. on. I want to go to Patrick. Patrick, hello. Patrick, are you there? Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yeah. What's up? Hey, man. Uh, I'm a Spurs fan, um, so I just watched that crazy game last night. Um, and I saw your tweet last night that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, it was about this this idea of, like, just it's nice to see DeRozan just kind of hooping um, for, like, mm-hmm. you know, just like a decent team, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and as, like, a Spurs fan who's, like, under no illusions of kind of, you know, I know we're just, like, an average team, slightly above average team. Um, I have also had like a lot of fun this season, just kind of enjoying DeRozan's game for what it is uh, without like the kind of pressure of, you know, like, oh, you know, how far does this get you in the playoffs? Like knowing the answer is not that far. Um, right. But uh, I, yeah, so I guess my question is like, for me, DeRozan is one of those players where it's just like his game has so much kind of art and skill to it. It's beautiful. It like sort of reminds me of ballet in a way, the way he kind of, the footwork and the strength combined. It's just really beautiful to watch. So I guess my question is like who this season have been like the players for you who aren't necessarily superstars, aren't necessarily kind of, you know, necessarily like kind of have championship equity in that sense. They don't really raise their team ceiling that way, but they just are really fun to watch hoop. Um, yeah. 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 yeah I, I just want to like get some love for those guys. I wonder who those guys are for you this season. That's a great question, man. I, I have a lot. Uh, it, it's interesting. Like the, there's like sort of the category of player like a DeRozan where it's like this guy is like DeRozan may be one of I mean I guess we can decide whether he's how good he is but certainly on like kind of offensive talent and his clutch performing I mean like certainly recently what did he say about like a pineapple I'm a clutch as a pineapple I'm on an island uh, if, if I'm on like an island with another person, I'm going to be the one who finds the pineapple for like, a survivor style situation. I mean, why is a pineapple the thing that's like the fruit of the island? It's He's tropical great. fruit. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, but um, like on that sort of skill level alone, like he may be one of the 15 best players in the game. I mean, I know there's a lot uh, that he's not good at, but I mean, He's at that level. So it, when you sort of talk about like kind of this guy uh, can be an A1 on like a team that's 500, the, one of the first guys that comes to mind is frankly the guy that he went against last night, which is Bradley Beal. Hmm. You know, um, if Bradley Beal is your best player, you're probably about as good as the Wizards are. But And so there's always this thought that well, we've got to get Bradley Beal to contender. But if you get Bradley Beal to con- a contender, he's going to have to play a lesser role 
and you're going to start kind of harping on the things that he doesn't do well instead of appreciating the things that he does do well. I mean, that guy, the Spurs, like, just could not prevent him from getting to the bucket. Like, it was amazing, really, yeah, just sort of the, the moves and the strength that he has and kind of the, his ability to get open. I think there was one play where they uh, they trapped him at half court uh, on a play, and they – and so a lot of times what teams will do is they'll try to give the ball up and give it right back to the star when they're retreating. That's called like a boomerang action, some coaches call it. And I remember the Spurs like did not stop trapping him. They made sure they couldn't do that. So he just went back door on both of them and got the bounce pass and scored. Do you remember that play? That was like sometime yeah, in yeah. It was. It reminded me a lot of actually at the end of that Celtics game too. He did the same thing. Yeah, uh, the Celtics trapped him, and then he cut right as soon as he gave the ball up because the defenders kind of relax. Right, right. If he's playing on a better team, you're not going to see that as often because there's not going to be as much focus to get the ball back. So he's the first guy that comes to mind for me, but there are a number of others. Ben, is there anyone else that you just kind of enjoyed watching uh, play even without worrying about whether they're going to fit in the playoffs or whether, you know, what? how good are they really? Like, is there another player like that? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to wonder because I'm a big CJ McCollum fan. I tend to wonder if he falls into that bucket of like, how successful can you be if he is your number two, specifically when your number one kind of has the same basketball characteristics. I also kind of wonder. You mentioned Beal, but it's like, is Beal the number one guy on that team? Like, even if he may be their best player, is he the number one player? I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll tell you who the Wizards broadcast <laughs> thinks is the number one player on that team. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. There's already way too much Wizards talk on this podcast about NBA joy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to kind of pinpoint players in this in that specific ilk. I, I find myself wondering about Paul George a lot because I love watching Paul George. And then I think to myself, well, he's – He's kind of failed out on two different teams for different reasons. And I say failing out in probably not even the right term, but I, I always wonder like, how great is Paul George? Is he really good? Is he a superstar? Um, it can he, could he ever actually be a number one on a team? Probably not. Um, but I do love watching Paul George play when he's cooking. He's as smooth as there is. And he makes the game look effortless. Yeah. Like, like some of you the know, other greatest players in the league. Yeah. You know, to your Paul George point, like you remember your, when he wanted to leave the Pacers because, mm-hmm. you know, they were kind of seemed like they were a dead end team. The two years before he left, like they didn't have a whole lot around him. And I think that that was like the best Paul George was, I guess, mm-hmm. except for that, that stint with Oklahoma City at the beginning of 2019. Yep. But, you know, it, you almost wonder, like in a parallel universe, like what is Paul George's reputation if he just stays there and the Pacers keep winning 45 games a year? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, he's a good what if um, for sure. Um, you know, I think I think it's funny. Um, I think Jimmy Butler had a very interesting character renaissance last year uh, with the Heat. And I, I wonder sometimes about how we place Jimmy in that pantheon of players. If Jimmy's the best player on your team, you went to the NBA finals last year in a very weird situation. But I don't know if Jimmy Butler is ever going to taste that type of success again either. And the Heat have struggled immensely this year, and there's a wearing effect on teammates that Jimmy provides <laughs> that's pretty well documented, but you can see it manifest itself this year, I, I believe, with the Heat, as well as the wearing think, they're playing with almost no you think, that, like you think it's been Jimmy, or you think it's more like just all the injuries and, and the fact they haven't had any rest? 
I think I was saying the wear and tear of having no offseason, that's one thing you have to qualify with basically everything right now for team. Like, look at Denver went through a, a, about a week and a half spell. Obviously, yeah. they had injury with Murray. They've had Monte, uh, uh, what's his name? Monte. Um, Monte Morris. Uh, Morris with his injury and, and now. Um, Will Barton. Another, Will Barton. Sorry. Yeah, just, there's so many injuries, it's hard for me to keep track. Lost Will Barton just now. And so you have to see a lot of replacement players essentially come and fill voids. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to – you have to qualify everything with – there was almost no offseason. Uh, even the offseason that was had was in during COVID, so training was different. Uh, almost no preseason. Uh, you know, acclimation with rookies was – significantly shorter um all those things and so yeah. do i think jimmy i think jimmy Butler's is just one of those guys who he's really good at controlling his own narrative to his credit um probably better than most because he's kind of an interesting guy uh, he, he sort of finds himself in conversations that maybe he shouldn't be in like we had him we people were seriously talking about doing about if he was a top five player in the nba can you so tell that that, that ben is a sixers fan can you guys tell i, 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 I have jimmy no idea <laughs> I, I think jimmy, i think jimmy's i think jimmy is one of like the 15 best players in the league and has been for uh years but that's like you know I, I, would you rather have paul george or jimmy butler mike I don't. I. I don't know. I probably Jimmy Butler, but I'm not entirely sure. You know, to to this original question of like kind of guys who we sort of just enjoy for what they are uh, and for who they are. I mean, you mentioned McCollum. I mean, this sort of is Damian Lillard's lot in life, is it not? Yeah. 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 That's probably a good. Point you know. There. Um, I wonder. With, I wonder with Lillard, man. What do you? I wonder what his the elasticity of his of his emotional state is right. Like how much failure in theory or how much mediocrity can, can he with, with, you know, withstand as he sees himself and probably rightfully so as one of the best players in the NBA with a peer set of guys succeeding on teams that are better. And he's kind of stuck in this good, but not great team that isn't necessarily built well around him where his secondary player doesn't even really complement his own skill set. I, I'm curious what you think about the long-term effects that's going to have and what his long-term kind of prognosis is, because, you know, Lillard is definitely one of the best players in the league. And I think with a, a really dominant big or, you know, bigger wing player that he can be you know, as his number two, or even the number one with which he can be more of the supporting star for, I wonder what his you know arc could be. Well, it's going to be a test of that, that's for sure. I mean, this the end of this season because that team's not going anywhere. Um, to the <laughs> to the original, back to Patrick's original question. Yep. You know, Sorry. one other guy that I've I've really enjoyed this year just for who he is is Terry Rozier. Yeah, another another guy which is like, man, when he was with his old team, we were always kind of wondering, like, God, what what is he bad at? And now he can kind of just be what he's good at with like kind mm-hmm. of free of expectations. Like he's another one that I've kind of really enjoyed. That's um, a good one. I don't know, Patrick, if you have any others, but I think there actually have been a lot of these types of kind of one of the nice things about I think the the season and Kendi that we don't do a good enough job with is that there are types guys like this all around the league, and we just have to learn to accept that they're in a in a season, really any season, there are going to be some teams who finish forty one and forty one, and are led by Demar Derozan and play kind of nice basketball, but are probably going to be the seven seed at yeah. best. And like, that's okay. And that's that there's a lot of joy that those guys bring on a night to night basis, particularly for their fan base. And there's a lot of, if they're not like as good as 
the guy, the best guys in the best teams, like okay, sure. But there's still a lot to kind of like about them, and I like the comparison Patrick you made about ballet. I mean, DeRozan is like watching like a dancer a lot of the hmm. time. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I you know, was... I, go ahead, go ahead, Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing I was going to add is, um, yeah, I, I think it's like actually pretty vital for like a healthy NBA ecosystem to have these guys sort of in the middle uh, who are like technically mediocre, um, <laughs> you know, in the sense just like, yeah, in the larger sense, but just like so kind of fun to watch and for the superstars to kind of go up against. And like the concept of a duel, I think, is really important for the NBA. Um the other thing I was just going to say is that the three guys who I would like, I don't want to put caps on young guys ceilings, but the, I would project out for this to be their lot in life is I think Levine has blown up this year. Oh yeah. That's another good probably one. Be his uh, case. I think Randall has been really fun to watch with what he can do at his size. Um, but I don't want, you know, obviously he's about to have a lot of pressure and expectations in New York and everything, but um, yeah. Uh, and then also Mitchell, I think, will be a guy. Obviously, he's on an elite team right now, but looking at how his career will kind of project out, I really love his game. I love like the weird baseball passes, what he can do at his size, his strength. I think he's going to be really fun to watch, despite maybe not being that kind of top 10, 15 guy. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the Levine answer for sure. I think the other two, unfortunately, they've started to taste – a little bit too much expectations where like there is a backlash that's coming that I'm not, not looking forward to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm worried. I gotta say like, I'm, I love what I'm excited for Knicks fans. Like I'm glad that their team is good and relevant. I really hope that the organization doesn't go too crazy. And then this boomerangs right back on them and that the fan base doesn't get too excited because I, I, if Julius Randle has this happened to Pascal Siakam, I think recently, and it's really changed his trajectory and reputation. Like when you taste that little bit of success, like and you take a slight step back, it feels like a giant step back. And I just, I don't know. I, maybe I'm like yeah. getting cart before the horse here. Um, but I, I, Pat- I think I think Siakam's a little different though, right? He was a a very good player on an NBA championship team that was perfect for the role that he fulfilled and then was given a contract that was for a type of player that he isn't. Whereas Julius yeah, Randle... He wasn't. He was for a month initially, and that just didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was until the yeah. bubble. I don't know. I mean, he did make All-NBA. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Like, maybe it's yeah. it's a little different there. Um, Patrick, thank you so much. I've got a couple yeah. other folks who want to chat. Yeah, thank you. This is a very good question. Thanks, and I'd love to know uh, what other people would say to that. Um, Mike, can I, can I just say real, real quick on, on Julius Randle that I mm-hmm. I, I don't uh, – maybe I'm in the minority here because uh, I have too many friends that are Knicks fans. But I liked Knicks fans more when they were self-loathing than this like, <laughs> did this like hey, watch out, Bucks, we're going to get the three seed. Or like, we're going to be the two seed. We're going to win out. And it's like – my God, like be happy with the incredible season that you're having. Be aware of the ramifications of playing Tibbs ball for too long. And also just appreciate that this has already far exceeded the expectations because now they're getting, the Knicks fans are getting into a, 
a little bit cocky, and I don't. I don't Maybe I, I don't know. I have not experienced that with the Knicks fans in my circles. I think they're all mostly pretty realistic, but I'm sure there's <laughs> there's a su- subsection that are not. I mean, mostly I worry organizationally that like it's just they're gonna start to. Well, think that they're closer than they are, and, well, wait, and what about you the know, organization would tell you that they're going to make the wrong moves. This yeah, and like I, I was maybe it's just fresh in my head because of the Suns game last night. But Randall had a rough game; he really got a lot of attention, and I'm gonna, he's going to get a lot of that coming forward, yeah, and it's yeah, going to be yeah. interesting to see how he handles that. Billy, Billy, what's up? How are you doing? Hey, Billy. Yeah, so I just kind of on the theme of things we love this season. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure I've seen this article, but like it kind of feels like the year of the big man. With like obviously Jokic and Bead are uh, the top two MVP guys, but just like beyond that, well, I mean, just even kind of go down things like Giannis, Capella, Randall in the East. I mean, whatever you think Durant is, and then the West, um, like Gobert is probably the best player in Utah. Mike, you're well documented over your asinine take that Davis is the best player on the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I said, I only said he was the best player in the NBA for like one. All right, whatever. I can't defend this anymore. Um, but yeah, no, it's just like, it's, I feel like it's, it's very cool to be a big guy. Like, it, there's just a bunch of big guys who are allowed to do things that even like maybe 10 years ago, they would have been told, like, like sit, sit your ass in the paint, and now it's like Brooke Lopez is spotting up a corner three. Um, like Poku's reimagining the sport. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Poku. Poku is a joy. Oh, uh, like even Randall, who like at his size, like I, I'm not like I'm not sure. Again, like five years ago, like we would have imagined anyone kind of doing what he's doing. Um, so yeah, I just like I, I really enjoyed seeing like the the variety of big guys and, and what they've been able to do. And like, even, I mean, like, let alone Zion, but uh, like, and him reinventing basketball biomechanics in terms of like getting as low as he does, Mike, as you, as you pointed out in some of your uh, newsletters. Um, but yeah, just like really enjoy kind of the different, like, uh, like anti body shaming that the big men have gone through this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's been fun. Ben, what do you think about, uh, yeah. cause I have, I have a much, uh, I have a really kind of bigger picture thought about this that I love, but yeah. I want to see what you think about this first. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I think so much of it is defining big men by the, how, how tall they are. And then completely forgetting everything that we knew about what a skill set means. So there's some traditional bigs you threw in there for sure in terms of like rim protector, good at setting screens, being a PNR guy, like your Gobert, um, like your Capella, who's having a great year um, for sure. But the rat, I mean, a lot of those guys we just mentioned have the skill sets that you would have ideally had in your small forward or shooting guards or point guards even uh, for basically the 40 years prior to the last five. And so it's like, it's really, it's amazing to see that type of progression, uh, evolution, if you will, of, of the sport, but it takes specific types of players in any, in anything, in any sport and in any position within those sports to then kind of reshift the way the paradigm uh, of what you think a position should be. So yeah, is there a, a direct correlation between all of the guys who I think earlier in the podcast, we talked about Steph Curry being you know, often imitated, but never duplicated. There's probably a direct line between understanding what someone like Anthony Davis brings to the NBA and has, uh, and what, you know, Jokic and Embiid have 
basically being that there's they needed to evolve those their position the center position in order to play in this league of shooting uh of of uh specifically you know i would consider a much more nuanced defensive approach uh to the game and so you needed to have these types of evolutionary you know freaks almost and then you see the offshoot being guys like julius randall evolve their game year over year to kind of become that next level Um, you see a guy i mean we should bring it up, but like Mike joy for me this year has come from Zion Williamson. Uh, yeah. A lot of joy. This you know, watching yeah. him kind of be healthy and fulfill the prophecy of, of his physical attributes, meeting his type of very, he's a very smart player as well. Um, and so, you know, it's right. like, yes, big like, men being tall for sure are having a renaissance, but the skill sets, you can't pin them to any specific position, probably in the history of this game. Yeah, I mean, what position is Zion Williamson is a really good question. It's like it's a kind of a funny, interesting question. I mean, is he a point guard? Is he kind of – you think of him as sort of like a Giannis, but he doesn't play like Giannis. Like, he goes underneath you. <laughs> so, you know what it is? So, I, I'm writing the chapter now in the book about – I'm writing a book. For those who don't know, I'm writing a book about the uh, the modern – the growth of the modern style of play. Uh, that's going to, and like kind of a guide to how to understand and appreciate it. It's going to be out sometime in 2022. I'm right now I'm writing the chapter on, on positions and just how our understanding of positions has evolved over time. You know, what has changed about them? And one of the things that I think is really interesting about what's happened really this year compared to even a couple of years ago is that, we are positions are no longer defined by size for most of the NBA's history position. It, it just sort of happened that way. It wasn't intended that way when James Naismith invented the game, by the way, fun fact, James Naismith once advocated for a four point line for a four pointer. <laughs> bet you didn't know that. Bet you didn't know that James Naismith, the guy who invented the game once said that he would have been, in, he would have, he was open to the idea of there being a four point shot, a was, two point shot and a four point shot. Yeah, he was zigging before you could even zag. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that invented the game. So, I mean, is he really a zigger or a zagger? It seems like he's <laughs> – yeah, fun fact. James Nates, I think, would have loved today's game. I'm just going to say that right up front. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is that the positional spectrum really kind of evolved into a size spectrum. You know, the guard, forward, center. Like, it, it kind of didn't intend to be that way initially. I mean, it used to – it. it it first referred to where you were on the floor. And I think now what's interesting that's happening is that like the, your position based on like kind of what that position has done, like really has nothing to do with how tall you are, or maybe less so how to do how tall you are. I mean, you, you know, Billy, you talk about the big men and kind of redefine themselves with small man skills. I think what's actually been kind of fun to watch has been almost the inverse of that, where we've had some small men that play like big men. Where you mentioned Zion, but I'm even thinking about guys like Bruce Brown with the Nets and kind of that PowerPoint type of player. Mm. Uh, Julius Randle is actually a really good example of this. You know, he's basically pl- I, I he plays a lot like James Harden, but they kind of don't play the same position yet. They kind of do, um, mm. and just sort of this idea of now you've got kind of stanced. Uh, spot up big men shooters and like wings that play in the short role and, you know, a power guards and like, like a Jay Sean Tate is someone who's coming to this league and is like, he's kind of a big guy. 
but he's not a big guy. He's wide. He's like a wide guy. <laughs> um, what position is he? And just sort of redefining like kind of the positional spectrum generally. And like, you know, you mentioned Brooke Lopez as well with Milwaukee, with him shooting the ball. The other interesting thing that's happened with Milwaukee is like, again, the inverse of that. Brooke Lopez out by the three-point line, Drew Holiday and Dante DiVincenzo right around the basket in the dunker spot, just completely inverting that that structure. And I just love the freedom and the diversity of style that has resulted. And I, I think it's an awesome thing. And I don't know why this year I've noticed it more. I think uh, maybe the Lakers title has sort of, allow people to reimagine a world where big men kind of can play in different roles. But I think it's been awesome for the sport. And we were at the risk of perhaps learning the wrong lessons uh, from the size where it's like, if you're tall, like the, the, your position is your skill set now, not your size. We were at the risk of saying, if you're tall, you can't play any position. Now it's just, your size just doesn't have anything to do with what position you are. So I love that that question. Great question. Um, thank you so much. We got and Ravon, are you there? Uh, hi, Mike. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Hello. What's up? Yeah, for me, the things which I'm most happy for is Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Mm. Both are fun in their own way. Anthony is a fun guy. Like, all his quotes are super funny. Like, I think yesterday... <laughs> He had, they had me on Russell Westbrook court. Wow, gem. <laughs> had, <laughs> what do you many, say about A Rod that he hadn't heard of A Rod? Yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't yeah. play ba- baseball and I don't watch I, I don't watch uh, MLB, so I didn't know about this guy or something like that. And then he said, uh, they said, uh, wasn't he with D about J Lo? They said no. Uh, I guess he's sad. Hope they get back together or something like that. that <laughs> yeah. And now they're back. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> really? Yeah. So they, uh, they they had a they had a meal that uh, TMZ uh, was able to capture. So who knows? Wow, a meal. That Holy man shit. talks about Popeyes fries and bunch of whole other things. Has super mm-hmm. confidence. Again, had the dunk of the year. Yeah, you, you guys joked about it at the start of the show, but uh, we are not going there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's sort of like, kind of like, has captured that like innocence that, even if it's like sort of feels it isn't actually innocence. Like there's some sort of like kind of fun, like kind of uh, what's uh, what's the generation after millennial? Generation Z is that it? Gen Z, yeah, Gen Z. Or isn't there like like a whatever? He sort of has that like kind of innocence about him that is like kind of fun. And as a basketball player, like I don't know, I don't like know. I think what's most interesting is obviously he's inefficient. He could he sometimes settles for too many jumpers. But I thought there was some interesting defensive stuff, honestly, that was happening in the Utah series where he was kind of playing as this like he's a fo- he he has like a football back and he's kind of playing like that kind of. QB spy, Mike linebacker. I don't know. I don't know my football terms. Like, you know what I mean? Like kind of the, what's the position that's like half linebacker, half safety, Ben? A strong safety? No, like, mean, like a more modern strong safety. Like, I mean, that's, that's the term. You're, you're thinking just of like what a, a position. Yeah, yeah. Some defense is. It's, it's strong safety, the Q- like Cam Kessler. 
Yeah, exactly. Cam Chancellor, Brian Dawkins, guys who get up into the box and play in the nine. Um, you're also, Mike, you're thinking of the, the, the defensive strategy of a QB spy, which is usually with the middle linebacker or uh, or strong safety, someone with that right. type of physical flexibility can play. Didn't, I, I thought yeah. that like our, our old coworker Richard Johnson did a video on this on like how the third linebacker was becoming like a linebacker safety hybrid. And he had a yeah, name I for mean, it. I forget what it was called. It's the Mike linebacker, but that doesn't, that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's but it. I, the, the, this is where uh, me being a fan of all sports and my kind of knowing some sports uh, is great. But Mike, I think the thing that Anthony Edwards captures is that he does uh, the, to give you another sports parallel, major league baseball hates when their young players have personality. They hate it. They can't stand when Tatis jr. Or Acuna, uh, smash a home run and then celebrate doing something that's incredibly difficult to do. Um, and basketball embraces that. And I think Anthony Edwards is sort of like that young kind of personality that in, in kind of, it doesn't matter if the wolves are good or not, they're not supposed to be good. But what you want is to see that your young players are enjoying playing. They're not being taken down by losing and that you're getting that personality from a guy that you kind of feel like you have some kind of relationship to, to the growth of the young player. And I think he gives that in spades. Like he's just a really, He's a, he seems like a very open book, interesting guy. And, you know, in a league of stars, it can be very conscious of how everyone thinks about them because it's such a public facing sport. I think Edwards is, is, uh, is a breath of fresh air. So, yes, I think he brings me joy as well. Yeah. And LaMelo, I think, you know, yeah. obvious no reasons doubt. for sure. I hope he he's supposed to come back, I believe. Yeah, um, already back. Yeah, so that's very exciting for sure. And yeah, yeah, it's like I mean, the cynical answer here is that you know just wait till a publicist gets a hold of him and changes him and <laughs> into something that he's not. But whatever, I'm not going to go there yet. Um, yeah, I uh, love that. Uh, thank you so much. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Bino would like to speak. Hello. What's up? Oh yes, Bino. Ah uh, yes, hello, gentlemen. How are you? Hello. How's it going, man? It's one of my, one of my going... best friends here, Mike. This is this is a. Oh very, okay. Uh, What's up, Mike? You Mike, you may remember me as the guy who criticized the original limited upside JPEG cover. Uh, <laughs> that was like utterly horrendous. Yeah, um, that was pretty bad. I I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a Celtics fan, um, and I'll make this short. They brought me no joy, almost absolutely <laughs> negative joy. Um, so we can totally skip over those jerks. Um, that what's really brought me joy, honestly, is just John Morant, and I've I've joined late. Um, it's he's and I have him on my fantasy squad, so I've been paying a little extra attention to him. You know, he's definitely. I feel like he's in a little bit of a sophomore season. Uh, did, did you guys talk Ja already? I'm sorry. We, if we I'm, haven't. No, we, ha- we haven't. Okay. No. You know, this so, is a perfect person. Yeah. Ja Morant is, even to anybody watching basketball, which like I forced my wife to watch an ungodly amount, unfortunately, <laughs> she she notices Ja. Like, he sticks way off the screen as somebody who's just mm. so dynamic. Those passes that go 40 feet from half court – or, you know, whatever they might be. Um, it's really on the passing and then obviously driving to the hoop how how special he is, I think, and, and how he carries the ball. But I, I feel like it's it shades of, you know, as a point guard, I mean, there's a lot of white chocolate to him, honestly. I feel like mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of things like that. I mean, maybe not nearly as crafty as, as he was, but um, there's a lot of that to him. And I just, it's so fun watching him play. 
uh, and I'm extremely jealous that he's not on my team. It's a good one. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, he kind of kind of has that like like burst like Steve Francis back in the day. Mm. Love Steve Francis. That's a good one too. He's a combination. I mean, I, I watch Jaws the type of guy, and I'm glad you brought him up too. Because, like, th- talk about a player helping a team exceed expectations, right? They're, they lost their second-best player before the season started. And I guess he just came back from Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and right. th- there's, no, there's no recipe to get Brooks and Kyle Anderson to be your number two and number three. Valanchunas to have, who's, you know, one of those guys who's, like, a lot younger than people realize that he's, like, 26 or 27. But like, <laughs> he's 16. Yeah. The Anthony Melton, the Anthony Melton revival. Uh, Memphis got a lot of good players. I I like that. Memphis is a team that's brought me a lot of joy this year in general. I just, they have a lot of really good players. And and can't you tell the difference between a team with low expectations versus a team with high expectations? I mean, that's, that's what I'm, you know, especially as a Celtics fan coming into the season with high hopes is like Boston's worst thing. Like mm-hmm. it's it's like the worst thing to happen to the city of Boston or any team to have those kind of pressurized expectations just does not bode well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and our guys are young. And I was going to say, Boston's interesting too, right? Because it's not like they're being led by guys in their late twenties who like, this is the time to be at their prime to lead a team. Like they just had incredible seasons that really, I mean, in Tatum's case, at a very young age and Brown taking a leap this year, but that not really simultaneously happening with the rest of the team taking the step forward. I, I can see everything in life is about right. Balancing expectations, uh, you know, against results. And in the case of the Celtics, expectations were very high and the results haven't been there. And, and there's no joy. Yeah. And like, if, yeah. if this is the joy podcast, you know, it's <laughs> not just that, like as a fan, I'm experiencing no joy. Like, it's pretty obvious that I don't think anybody on the Celtics is enjoying the season whatsoever. No, I don't think Um, so either. But you see that in Memphis. You 100% see that in Memphis. For sure. Yeah, that's the old Homer Simpson lesson, if if the listeners (laughs) never try. That's right. right. Uh, But it's funny. Ja is, like, incredible to watch in part because I think of – his movement. I mean, it's just like he, his body twists in ways that aren't supposed to twist. He almost o- feels like I'm always surprised by his power. He looks like a skinny marinky dink kind of guy. Yeah. He yeah. looks like he's 120 pounds soaking wet. And when he like flies and jams over a dude, it's always surprising to me how much yeah. power he has. It's a great it's a great illustration of how strength in the modern NBA is not based on how big your muscles are. I think it's there's just wiry strength there that's really yeah. uh, is key. But the funny thing about Ja is that like I think that Memphis is there are a lot of ways that Memphis has overachieved in spite of him rather than because of him. Not necessarily I think not necessarily because he's going to be a bad player down the road or there isn't there isn't like kind of an engine element of it that drives it. But I do think the fact that his shooting is really tanked this year is really hurt. Yes, them. it has. Yep. And, and I mean, my theory for that is that when he had that original ankle injury in Brooklyn, do you remember that injury? I that do. Like looked he missed, really bad. missed a couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't know if that, I think that his, his feet don't feel balanced when he shoots. Like, I don't think he's been able to plant and rise up as easily. And I think that he, that has affected his shot, but and, and it's only recently that I feel like he's getting it back a little bit. It, and if yes. you look at the numbers, and this is – I'm not looking at the numbers. This is just from memory of managing the dude. 
he came back very early from that ankle injury. He did. Like yes, everyone did. was expect everyone was expecting him to be out for a few weeks and he came back in a week or two. Um and then, you know, he was putting up these like 30 to 40 point games like early in the season and and towards the end of last season and um then it just really tailed off to your point and only yeah. recently is he putting together like pretty consistent 30 point games. Yeah, I think that injury set him back more than people realize. But I mean, I just love, I just, Memphis is like such a great, smart drafting team. Like everybody they put on the floor, everybody they drafted, like they make sense in the modern NBA. Like DeAnthony Melton, Xavier Tillman. I love Xavier Tillman. I, I can't understand how he, he fell. Like he seems like I've been begging my team to have an Xavier Tillman for like years. Uh, Desmond Bain, love Desmond Bain. Grayson Allen, kind of become a pretty good player uh, there. Mm-hmm. Kyle Anderson is just like a super fun joy just because of the different play he has. Uh, yeah. JV, uh, Justice Winslow coming back, like that's kind of been fun too. I, I love how how tough. I love how they basically become like kind of the modern version of what they were with Zach Randolph, Marcus Soul, blah blah blah. You know. The modern grid and grind, they just like, they get into you. And like, I don't know, I, I would love to see another Portland Memphis uh, playing game. Thought that was terrific. Those two games yeah. over the weekend, not great for the Blazers, but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alec, what's uh, Alec, what's up? Hey guys, it's been, it's been a little bit since I've been on here, but uh, yeah. It, I noticed that you guys were spreading some positivity. I thought it was cool that I'd hop in. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing I've loved this season is that I'm a Nets fan, and they've been really, really, really good for the first time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. yes, that's a pretty I, good reason to like this season. Alec, I was going to bring up earlier, uh, as someone who brings me joys, is watching Kyrie Irving play and, and have fun. I think he gets, I think he gets a lot of... Uh, because he's an interesting guy who puts himself out there for better or for worse into some types of conversations where he might not have what I would consider uh, points of view that fit inside the box. I think that detracts from how incredible he is at basketball sometimes in the national narrative. And he is unbelievable to watch breakdown play. I mean, I, I, in terms of handle shot making ability, all those things, I've been loving watching Kyrie play this year because ultimately the only consistent part of the nets from the three superstars has been Kyrie Irving this year. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that. I think, I think I, you're totally right. And I think one of the most fun parts about Kyrie for me is how mad at myself I can get about his shot selection. Like I'll <laughs> see him pull up and I'll be like, oh, that's stupid. And then I'll go and I'm like, oh, I'm stupid. Like, what was I thinking? Like, this is Kyrie yeah. Irving. Yeah. And it's, it's a nice little jolt of like, no, 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 this isn't like D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dooney. Like, this is Kyrie Irving. You, you need to be respectful yeah. here. Yeah, that's you right. can tell the difference. Speaking of someone who just his body moves in ways that nobody else's does, I mean, that I'm still amazed what I, I remember that clip that Kyrie was basically leading his entire body all the way onto the ground from his side, and he was using his heels to prop himself back up. Do you remember that video? Honestly, oh, yeah. I don't know what shot he, you're talking about. Looks like, no, 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 no. It, it wasn't a basketball video. It was it's like a, an exercise video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, um, it's like an optical illusion almost. That's the type of yeah. balance he has. Yes. It's in like yeah. a Cleveland workout facility. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, it's just like, how does a body do that? But uh, Kyrie is a good, going to be an interesting test case for, you know, the Nets in the playoffs. I think it's it's obvious that they have flaws and they have weak points you can attack. But one of the big challenges 
I think for anyone who plays them, especially without a home crowd, is that psychologically, can you handle playing perfect defense and getting beat over and over and over again? Can you stay disciplined? Can you play your game? And can you kind of stay with the game plan? I think you watched that Phoenix game over the weekend. At a certain point, I think Phoenix just sort of lost them a little bit. And Phoenix is like the most disciplined team in the league right now. Like they're like Chris Paul's giving me a lot of joy, but that's a separate conversation. Um, can you yeah. keep up? And can you not let that affect the rest of your game? Because there's nothing you can do. And Kyrie is a really good encapsulation of that because he takes shots that you want him to take and he makes them. Can you sort of stay in the moment and just kind of keep playing when he's doing that in a playoff setting and you don't have your crowd to kind of pump you up? I I just think that's going to be a huge challenge for whoever plays them in a way that – no, you're, Mike, I completely agree. We saw this in the bubble last year. Shooters shoot better without fans and with the you know the, the lack of uh, whatever emotional presence, adrenaline moving presence that that um, you know that fans can create. And look, a world where Kyrie Irving, Harden, and, and Katie are on the court together, good luck. You know, good luck to everyone because all three of them are you know impossible mm-hmm. shot creator and makers. Um, Mike, I have to go, but I will say this podcast yeah. has brought joy. Has it it cheered you up? Yes. Mission accomplished. Excellent. Hearing all of the uh, the people call in and and give us the opinions of things that have made them happy this year has made me happier. Um, And so I I do appreciate uh, all the awesome listeners and call-ins here. Um, And uh, and yeah, thank you for for allowing for this topic to move forward. And it was your idea to cheer me up. So thank you, Mike. I'm glad you're cheered up. I think um, we can wrap this thing up unless unless someone's got some more things to bring in joy. I do want to shout out Chris Paul and the Suns. I just, I forget who said it, uh, who tweeted it. I think it was Nate Jones. who was just like, we really aren't spending enough time appreciating how a small guy at his age is doing what he's doing. Yeah. You know, like, I just don't think that we, this just has never happened in the NBA ever. You know, and I don't think we've done enough appreciating of that and just, the sort of mastery of the body that he has and the little tricks he does. So I want to shout that out. Mastery of the game. Just like, man, Chris Paul is, is the closest thing we have to the, the apex chess player, the, the grand champion of, of, you know, the thinking part of the game mixed with, Mm -hmm. you know, all the right amounts of physicality. I'll tell you this in a lot of uh, paddle sports, the last thing I'll leave you with paddle sports, tennis, uh, racquetball, uh, anything like that, um, you know, squash, the best players move the least and, and someone like, like Chris Paul has mastered the art of, of making each movement cost more, be more valuable. Each thought move the ball and move the game further. And I will tell you that positionally speaking, no one probably in my lifetime has thought the point guard position and executed that thought process better than Chris Paul. So full appreciation for what he's done. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great to great to great to talk. Yeah, I mean, it's like he does that trick now that I wrote about last year. He does it more often now, where he he'll as a way of creating a fast break, he'll kind of get the ball in an outlet, find your opposing big man, kind of basically hide behind him, wait for that guy to basically feel awkward and run in the run out of the way, like set a screen on his own man, like try to escape. Like he'll just sort of occupy that guy from behind, like he's chasing him down, and then as soon as that big guy veers off to find his assignment because he doesn't want to get matched up on Chris Paul, he'll just shoot the three 
my favorite move in the league. Uh, Noah uh, did have something. Do you have something you want to talk about that you've enjoyed this year? Uh, yeah, I was hoping to be able to share it with Ben, but I'm sure here Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, when he was playing, has been an absolute joy to watch. I mean, in terms of this, the way he moves and like does his thing, he is a a one of one. I mean, just he's incredibly unique. I just I, I love watching him. Couldn't agree more. The Thunder loved watching him so much that they shut him down because they were winning too much. Yeah, love he, it. He, he does have the, the foot thing. Yeah, very yeah. A lot, not a lot of details on this foot thing um, after it first happened. Um, but yeah, I, I'm being facetious. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Shea Gillis Alexander was a real joy. Uh, I'm very curious to see his uh, trajectory because he's kind of halfway between a traditional point, like kind of a point guard skill set with like kind of one of those big wing bodies. Very curious. So yes, couldn't agree more. Anything else you've enjoyed? I mean, I I could go like very in depth on that, but no, I just think you know. I, yeah, you mentioned this uh, earlier, but the way that uh, positions are kind of gone, like, you know, we have all these small guards being used as bigs. And I mean, just everything is like, I guess, how it should be. You know, yeah, just like skills trump everything else. Right. So I, I don't, I, you've done, you made a bit of a Freudian slip there that I think is worth noting because it's not you're not the only one who does this and i think it's like a common misconception and something you mentioned that sort of positions are gone right that was the word you used like there are not that but that like you know roles like your kind of role on offense and your position they aren't uh synonymous in in the way that things things used to be because even though you know you have the big initiators if you look at most starting lineups like you can like the heights are kind of, you know, still organized. I just love how, you know, you have like, for example, a lot of small, like you have uh, Bruce Brown, Terrence Mann rollers. Right. You have uh, Terry to Terry Rozier, who's six one, but he's like playing entirely off ball. I just love how, you know, guys have been allowed to really like dial focus in on what they can do regardless of. Yeah. Yeah. Now were you around for the free Darko blog era? No, I, I think – I know you're uh, – I don't remember how old you are, but do you remember – were you around for when Free Darko was at its height? No, my uh, Twitter presence is like nine months old or so. Okay, so one of the things that, that, that Nate, Nathaniel Freeman, Bethlehem Scholes talked about that I think is worth rereading – uh, in the context, and I think kind of got a little commandeered, was he didn't talk – you hear the term a lot, like positionalist basketball, right? Like where like kind of everyone can kind of do a lot of different everythings. And what he spoke of was not that, was something called a positional revolution, which is different than positionalist basketball, which is – I don't want to kind of steal his thunder, but I think it's a, too much. I, I'm sure you have a more specific designation. But what he envisioned was – a world where a player basically determined the shape of their team and his role rather than a coach. And that role was determined again, not by height, not by orthodoxy, but by sort of that person's skill set. Like, and so then a coach's job would be to kind of mold their skill set into a whole 
that works for everyone. And so instead of just shuttling them to point guard or center or whatever, at some point, I think this sort of got commandeered a little bit as like this idea of things are positionalist. Like this is the positionalist NBA. And I think the problem with that line of thinking and the problem that I think Nathaniel always had with it and one that I share is that positionalist suggests that it's coming from the the other frame of mind to call something positionalist. It's positionalist in the sense that it's no longer what the positions were in the same way. And so, but there's a, that's not the same thing as saying that positions don't exist or that ways to stratify players don't exist. It just means that the players themselves and their skill set kind of determine the way that they are aligned as a collective. And so then you need to work a little harder and, be more creative about like kind of which pieces fit where. So to the point that like Terry Rozier at six one can play like Terry Rozier does, his position is kind of defined more by what he brings to the table. It's a lot different than saying positionalist. Positionalist is kind of, I think, the mistake that Billy Knight's Hawks made, where they just wanted to select a bunch of six seven guys who had swing that with a lot of skills. I think that's an important distinction that we need to remember. And one of the things I love about where the NBA is now is that we are kind of going back to something that is more of a positional revolution than a positionalist game. And I think that's, that's awesome. Um, And not the same thing. Does that make sense, Noah? Yeah. I think what I was trying to say is that roles or like what you have to, you know, uh, look like or how tall you have to be to fill a different role. It, It doesn't have to be the same from team to team like for example if you look right. at um like Mavs the guy who's going to you know create all the offense Luca the guy who's going to you know um roll to the rim create that rim pressure um Willie Cauley Stein or formerly uh, Dwight Powell then you look at the Nuggets they still have a primary initiator and they have guys who you know um pressure the rim but the guy pressuring the rim is MPJ and Aaron Gordon on cuts and the initiator is their center Nikola Jokic so you know teams still have the same roles it's just Right. Anyone can can kind of play any any role, which I think is cool. Or like you know, on the Clippers, a t- up to Terrence Mann, he can be your some of your rim pressure. It's- yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think that it's just the it's so the I, the positional spectrum. And this is the last thought I'll have before we wrap this up. Like, and this is because I'm writing this chapter now for the book. The positional spectrum is so hardwired. That we assume that it's very easy to assume that if it's not that regular positional spectrum, it's positionless, and it's just so easy to slip into that that mind frame. And I, I think to your point, like it's not like the Mavericks or the Nuggets or these teams just have a bunch of six seven guys. Like they have guys who are different sized. Like they have to, you know, every team has to. Um, so it's just that perhaps the size doesn't correspond directly to the four, the three position or five position spectrum that we've known our whole lives. And that doesn't mean that things are positionless. It means that the positions themselves are being kind of upended. So that's, uh, I'm giving a little bit too much away the book, but, uh, I think that's an important distinction to be made. So Noah, thank you. Everybody else. Thank you for joining us on. Thank you for cheering Ben up. Uh, really appreciate it. This is a great list. I'm sure, again, we could talk about a whole lot of other things that we enjoyed, but I think we've hit a lot of the ones that I've enjoyed this year and super awesome discussion. 
we are probably going to have a real podcast sometime this week. I don't want to give too much away, but we're lining up an actual guest to talk about in an actual podcast and not locker room. So look forward to that. Until next time, we'll be back here at 3 p.m. next Tuesday. And this has been the Limited Upside Live Chat. <laughs>